0: Good morning, good afternoon, and good night. Once again, we are back with Collateral Creatives, the show where we take a look at pieces of media that aren't necessarily Christian, and we try our best to find a Christian message or meaning that we could take out of it as believers. I am your host, Austin Murphy, and I am once again joined by my co-host,
1: Cheyenne Wyatt. Yeah.
0: All right. So today we're going to be talking about a really good movie, a stupid good movie. How good is this movie?
1: It's wonderful. It's one of my favorite movies ever. How
0: how many times have you watched it?
1: Oh, probably like four or five times. Maybe more. That's
0: more than me. I've watched it twice. Once whenever (laughs) I came to visit one time and the other time was uh, right before I got here. Yeah. So um, fantastic movie, though. It got a lot of flack. That's something that was like really upset me. It's not a well-received movie.
1: Yeah, it definitely is like under hyped I feel like
0: well that's the thing a lot of people don't like it yeah because like I was looking I was looking at reviews for it and a lot of people say well it, it had the same problem that Scott Pilgrim faced the trailer was not representative of the final film. So anyway, Collateral Beauty, wonderful film. Highly recommend it. It's on Netflix right now, so you can go and watch it yourself. If you have Netflix, if you don't, then, I mean, that's fine, I guess. Find a
1: friend who has Netflix. That
0: is the best choice ever. (laughs) You have any idea how, how many people mooch off of me and my Disney Plus?
1: I am one of them
0: (laughs) (laughs) There's a total of six people That currently mooch off of No, seven There's only seven profiles you can have on one account But one of them uses mine (laughs) So it's it's so funny whenever I open up my account Sometimes and someone just finished watching Tangled It's really funny yeah. Um, but anyway, as per usual uh, We're going to be introducing the show Getting you guys uh, knowledgeable of what this movie is uh, Heavy spoiler warning If you haven't watched the movie yet Then we'll be trying so to So
1: stop at this now And find that Netflix account <laughs> If you want to see it
0: It's really good, we really don't recommend That you listen to this and spoil it It's such a good movie that really should have that first That first viewing Just be utterly pure Yes. Um. So, we'll be introducing the movie. We'll be discussing it a little bit, and then we'll go into how it was made, who created it, uh, give some recognition to those people, and then we'll start going in on how we can find and it's really not that difficult with this movie, honestly. A Christian meaning and message. So, you've seen the movie far more than me. So, you you hit us with that summary. I I, I okay. believe in you.
1: I'll do it. Uh, so yeah, collateral beauty. It came out in December of 2016. So it's a little bit older of a movie at this point, but it's really good, like we've been saying. And it focuses in on this guy named Howard Howard, who is an executive at an advertising company. And he lost his daughter to cancer about two or three years prior. And is just still struggling to comprehend his grief, really. And he's withdrawn. He's isolating himself. And he's just trying to figure out what the next step is. Um, he's not even really at the point of figuring things out. He's just shut down. And so in the middle of his grief, he writes these three letters to these abstract concepts. Love, love. Time and death. And meanwhile, his friends who also work at this company are trying to figure out what to do to help him because he's kind of a mess. And it's also kind of driving their company into the ground because he's just so distraught over his daughter's death that he's not running the company. As sort of a last-ditch effort, they hire a private investigator to follow Howard around and see if they can find proof to show that he's no longer mentally capable or mentally fit of running the company. And through that, they find the letters and they're like, okay, well, you know, people write uh, letters to Santa, so this is more of like a cathartic thing. It's not really anything we can use, but maybe, you know, this does show that he is struggling a lot. Maybe we can find something else. And they're still trying to figure out what to do when they have a chance encounter with this actress. And they get this idea to have this group of three actors, because the actress has some friends, to pretend to be death, time, and love. And each actor, with actor being in quotes um, for certain reasons (laughs) uh, gets abstract reasons. Yes, abstract reasons, gets paired up with one of the friends. Death gets paired up with Simon who hasn't told his family that his cancer came out of remission. Time gets paired up with Claire, who is worried about starting a family because she has focused on her career and hasn't had time to find love and, you know, have a baby. And she's gotten older and might be running out of time to do that. And then love gets paired up with Wit, who is trying to keep in touch with his daughter after this really messy divorce that he had with his wife. So the actors in quotes are showing up to Howard and interacting with him and having conversations based on the letters about death and time and love and how they have affected Howard and why his daughter died basically and trying to help him comprehend his grief and because of these conversations at first Howard is just like nope this isn't happening nope but by the third one he's When Love shows up, he's like, okay, I'm I'm seeing these hallucinations, so something must be going on. And he decides to go and visit this support group for parents who've lost their children to cancer. Because he thinks maybe he can get some help there, or maybe just because he has no other place to go. And he meets this woman there who also lost her daughter to cancer. And throughout the movie, you see them having conversations with each other about understanding grief and so that's like one plot thread that just continues throughout where Howard is talking with this woman at the support group about grief and loss and her daughter's death and meanwhile Howard keeps getting visited um, by the actors who are representing these abstract constructs and for that second visit the private investigator films Howard talking to them because they want to show that he's not quite there mentally. So those videos are going to serve as proof of that. And presumably they edit the actors out when they show them to this conference of higher-up executives and get him to sign some papers to give away some of his rights and sort of accept that his daughter's dead. Uh, One of the papers was to officially show that his daughter no longer had any uh, stake in the company because he had set aside um, some of his shares for her. And so, in the aftermath of all of that mess of Howard giving up his uh, shares to the company and meeting with the actors and everything. Each of his friends are also dealing with the issues that they've carried throughout the movie and that they for some reason decided to open up to with these random actors um, because Simon decides that he's going to tell his family uh, that he's dying and Wit tries harder to connect with his daughter And Claire decides that, you know, maybe she doesn't have to try to force things. Maybe she doesn't need to try to get a sperm donor. Maybe she just will uh, be a mother figure for someone or something may happen in the time that she has left. And she doesn't have to try to rush things. And each of the actors helped them kind of reach that decision. Meanwhile, Howard, after everything blows over, visits the woman that he's been talking to from the support group throughout the movie. And when he goes in, uh, he's like, oh, you've been crying. And she's like, yeah, I was just watching a video of my husband with uh, my daughter when she was still alive. Now, it's been confirmed that they're both divorced and that they both had a daughter (laughs) that died Who is six years old And this is when it's revealed That she was actually his wife All along, that he had divorced
0: What?
1: And it was because they were pretending to be Strangers
0: That's so weird and cute
1: When they were divorced (laughs) Howard gave her This letter that said I wish we could go back to being strangers Because There was just so much pain involved In his daughter's death that to him it would have been better to be strangers and to like never had had gone through that at least that's the way that i understand it Mm -hmm. and so if you watch the movie like multiple times you can see like little moments where their body language gives that relationship away even though their dialogue maybe doesn't Mm -hmm. there's a few times where it's like oh I caught you. Um, Like there's one point where Howard is talking about his daughter. He says, oh, when our daughter, when my daughter died, when he's talking with his wife um, before you knew that it was his wife. And there's other points where you can just tell that his wife is in a lot of pain. Hmm. And you're like, why is she so, like, emotionally invested in this? And it's like, oh, it's because this is your ex-husband. that mm-hmm. uh, um That'd do it. Yeah, and so they, they're they able to reconcile because he's finally accepted his daughter's death at the end of the movie. And the last scene just shows them walking in the park, uh, Presumably together again I don't know if they like get remarried Or what Um, But the actors are on this Bridge watching over them Mm -hmm. And then like Howard looks up at them And then they disappear And so that's kind of like One of the like big questions Even though it's maybe not a huge question Is were they actually Actors or were they the (laughs) Constructs themselves Uh, Because there were just so many moments in the movie where they kind of had knowledge that they weren't supposed to have yeah and so that's a summary of collateral beauty
0: absolutely beautiful film it's it is a roller coaster and i i think that no, even if you had Morgan Freeman explaining the film, I don't think anybody could do it justice by just explaining it. Yeah. Definitely like if we just spoiled it for you, you need to just go and watch it anyway. You, you, you really owe it to yourself as someone who is clearly as interested in media as we are if you're listening to this show. So, now that we've gone into the introductions and such like that um, we're going to go into who made it. We're going to go into why it is as good as it is, in our opinion. And I think that it very simply starts with the director. It was directed by a guy named uh, David Frankel. David Frankel uh, directed Band of Brothers. And Band of Brothers, it is completely obvious that he directed it, if you've seen Band of Brothers. Because that whole film is just a... It's not really a film, it's kind of a... uh, It's kind of a mini-series with really long episodes, like movie-length episodes. And that whole show is a reenactment of World War II from the perspective of American soldiers. And it's brutal. It's emotional, it is dramatic, and it's it's hard to watch sometimes. And it's not shocking to me at all that he's the one that got behind the wheel for Collateral Beauty. Telling an emotional story is what that guy does. So he did an amazing job talking about that and bringing up emotional concepts in a way that is kind of almost... Edgar Wright style in a way Edgar Wright he's another director and he's done films that are very abstract and he's done films that tell that talk about really deep meanings but you have to look into how it's edited you have to look into how it's shot you have to look into how it's written like there's a lot of pieces that you have to put together before you can understand how what a movie means and David Frankel takes a couple pieces from that Uh, speaking of writing, we also got, uh, Alan Loeb, who wrote another film called The More Things Change, and just by the name alone, you already know that it's an emotional story of some kind. (laughs) Um, because, you know, we're always thinking about that. The more things change. Change is just an emotional subject anyway. Yeah, because who wants to talk about change? Because, like, I mean, my mother, she's funny about this, um... She and I got into an argument one time about me and my friend group, as we're getting older, we're starting to get more disconnected and we're starting to not hang out as much. And it's more than likely that within the next year, we're not going to be hanging out at all. And I was explaining that it's really getting heartbreaking for us because we've been friends since we were in fifth grade and we've never lived a life where we're not right next to each other, willing to hang out at any time. And she's like, why is it upsetting? I'm like, because... change is scary and she genuinely doesn't like that answer she gets upset with that answer because she's wondering like why are you afraid of change and I think it's just because it's uh, I think the way that I answered her was it's uncertain Mm -hmm. change can be positive or it can be negative but you won't know until it happens yeah and I don't like that so the more things change ironically enough about four friends who have remained friends through their whole lives (laughs) and uh, I haven't watched the movie myself but I have looked into it and I want to watch it now because it sounds really good yeah because like if Aaron if Alan my bad Alan Loeb uh, wrote this film uh, wrote Collateral Beauty then he has to be a really good writer because one thing I love about Collateral Beauty is that the writing makes the characters feel alive And Mm -hmm. real They interrupt each other All the time
1: Yeah it's very dynamic
0: Sometimes they speak Too fast Sometimes they speak Too slow Um they give really realistic reactions. and
1: Yeah. I There's a Hamilton reference. There is a Hamilton cause reference. Because it came out in 2016, yeah, and that was like, a thing.
0: I got us tickets to go see Hamilton. I've already seen Hamilton. <laughs> 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 who was the who is the actor that she said that, her, uh, oh, the guy that uh, her mom was dating? It
1: was, like, Odom Beck Jr. or something like that. Yeah, Odom like
0: Beckham that. Jr. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, who?
1: He's like one of the Hamilton actors. I yeah, think.
0: I thought he—he's not—he's not. He's not um, he was a
1: part of like the original cast, I think. I no, might. he definitely was. Okay. Um, I was about to say Odell I might Buckham be
0: Jr. That's his name.
1: Like really wrong. I'm gonna
0: actually look at. I'm gonna look at it real quick because, like, because here's the thing, right? Whenever we're talking about media, um, we're always going to end up thinking like, oh, how do these pieces of media connect to each other? And it's kind of funny because I'm thinking about this. Right. Oh, he's the one that, that played Aaron Burr. Yeah. Um, That's
1: who I was going to say. I think he played Burr, but I don't remember for sure. That rhymes. Um, <laughs> but I didn't want to like say that and be like wrong because then I'll get my like Hamilton fan <laughs> card taken away.
0: But you know what's interesting about that, though? What? It might be a pop culture reference, but Hamilton is also about loss. Yeah. Their son dies. <laughs> so I think that's really interesting that yeah. they reference that that play. I'm, it just happened to be there.
1: and that would be kind of like a risky like move because it takes away from like the timelessness <laughs> yeah. of a movie
0: mm-hmm.
1: And yet, I think it makes it more timeless, in a way. Yeah,
0: because like whenever we look at it in the future, it's kind of like whenever we go and look at uh, look at books that reference plays or something like that. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make the book less timeless. It just makes it so that now we have to go back even further to look at what it's referencing, and it's still yeah. maintaining well, timelessness. Well,
1: I'm saying that because... Um the book 13 Reasons Why I haven't seen the Netflix series it's not good yeah that's why that's why I'm throwing that caveat out there because from what I know the book is very different I like the book
0: it's extremely different you're right you you made the right call
1: well I, I read it before the series came out good good um before it was like a hype thing
0: you and I can watch it together whenever we're like bored and we can see what we think how long we can go how long we last
1: I'll be so annoyed. (laughs) Anyway, uh, in the intro to um, the edition that I think the Netflix series was just about to come out. So like it came out with a like special introduction or something. I don't remember. Mm -hmm. But in the introduction to that, it talks about how uh, he purposely chose to uh, use like tape recorders Mm -hmm. in the book because he didn't want to like do cds or something like that because he knew that those were already becoming dated Mm -hmm. and so if he picked something that was at the time of writing something modern that would just date the book and make it irrelevant to future readers but if he purposely picked something that was already dated at the time of writing Mm -hmm. then it would just be kind of more of a nostalgic quirky thing yeah um for any reader, and that makes the book more timeless, is what he hopes. Uh, it's like Jay Asher um, is the author of that. So, and it actually like really works because it tells you a lot about Hannah Baker, mm-hmm. um, the girl who commits suicide and like does the tapes. Yeah, because that really does fit her personality that you get to know over the course of the book. Right, he made that choice before he knew her personality and that really shaped her personality by picking older technology and so that's why I'm making that comment of like I feel like that was maybe a risky move because that could have potentially like really dated
0: the movie pretty easily
1: yeah because people like Hamilton could have become like a really insignificant thing I find it really interesting.
0: And I think that it's good that they referenced Hamilton because the the people that like this movie are going to be the ones like us who read way too deep into it. <laughs> yeah. And start going getting really philosophical it with it. It
1: is. A good movie for like deep engagement.
0: Cuz you're you're trying to read every line. Yeah,
1: and that's the <laughs> other thing like the intentionality with like lines and like editing. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite ones is during that scene where it's like, confirmed this is actually his wife they're not strangers they were just pretending to be strangers but she hugs him then and in the background just playing are all of these home movies and it shows him building dominoes up with his daughter and knocking them down and she's like oh what do we do and he's like oh we start all over And, like, that's the moment in the movie where it's like, oh, they're starting all over. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's another one where in the recording of him talking with Death, he was talking to Death about, like, how Death betrayed him, and he hates Death, and he has one of the, like, most appropriate uses of the F-bomb in a movie that Mm -hmm. I've ever, like, observed, because I'm not a huge fan of using language, but swear words are like stored in a different part or like in a different way in your brain that's connected to emotion yeah and so the way that he delivers the line is like this such an emotional thing and so i feel like for pg pg-13 movies where they're like okay we have like one f word allowance Mm -hmm. like where are we gonna put it they like chose to put it in a very like fitting place. That's why I say I find it really appropriate. Anyway, that was like a little side tangent. He's talking to death about all of this betrayal and stuff. They have the recording of it in this like big conference room and as they're like listening to those lines about betrayal and stuff, they have the camera on his three friends instead. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, ooh... Because the entire movie his friends are like Are we seriously going to do this Are we going to try to take the company away from Howard How are we going to do this Like uh." Mm -hmm. But like they want the best for Howard And they know he's not Like in a good place It's just really really hard Mm -hmm. And So yeah so like that Intentionality is really cool With like how they word things How they like Edit it Um, I think you had more notes on the editing.
0: I was going to segue into that real hard. Yeah. Um, Because the reason why the editing is so good is immediately answered once you actually go and look at who did the editing for the film. Uh, Andrew Marcus. uh, Not a household name. No editor ever is. Which (laughs) is completely fine. This man Andrew himself. He was the editor for American Psycho. And American Psycho is kind of In a way, like a rated R collateral beauty. (laughs) Because American Psycho, uh, as summarized by IMDb, is a wealthy New York City investment banking executive, Patrick Bateman, hides his alternate psychopathic ego from his coworkers and his friends as he delves deeper into his violent hedonistic fantasies. Uh Uh-huh. And he's, as you watch the movie... Most the one weird thing about it is that you hear his inner thoughts. Like the camera will be on him, nothing is happening. It's just him staring at something, but you'll hear him thinking. And this editor, like, did it perfectly. Like he he, it was a legendary performance of taking the way that a shot was cut or the way that or the placement for different scenes and the placement of different uh, voice lines that would play in the character's head. It was beautifully and masterfully put together because what Andrew does, what Andrew Marcus does is he understands how you can tell an emotion by a simple cut. Mm -hmm. Because that's that's something that we talk about a lot in film theory, um, because for those that don't know I'm a video editor. I do VFX, I do video editing, so I know this stuff. When we when we're talking about film theory, one of the first things that we that we discuss in the topic of how should we make this happen? How should we cut this? Is how are the people looking like where are they looking where are they going what is it that what emotion are we trying to tell so let's say like the godfather there's a scene in the godfather where the camera is going back and forth between two characters they're sitting at a desk i don't know who the characters are i've never seen the godfather i've just i just know this because it's a world famous editing trick but the camera keeps cutting back and forth between these two characters that are currently in a really tense moment. And it makes you feel as if you're sitting there as the third wheel, just looking back and forth at these two characters. Like, what are they going to do? It
1: adds to the tension.
0: Exactly. Because that's that's one of the, the tasks of the editor. When the human mind naturally wants to look at something in the shot. The editor has to know when the viewer is going to do that and then cut so that the brain doesn't say well I was supposed to cut sooner or later it was supposed to be like I want to oh there it is <laughs> it's <laughs> it's exactly what our, our purpose is and it works really well that's why continuity is such a big deal which of course if, we've go, if we go into like uh, editing continuity I could call out a couple things um, I think my two favorites are there is a scene where two characters are walking down the street there's heavy traffic. It cuts its paused traffic. The cars aren't moving anymore. The other one is there's two characters talking. It's bright and sunny out. They go in for a close up. It's really cloudy now. <laughs> so, <laughs> there's a couple things that <laughs>
1: The clouds move really fast.
0: Of course, in New York City, everything's fast. Mhm. So, yeah, it makes sense.
1: Especially the clouds. Yes, they exactly. They got places to go. Yes, exactly.
0: And the last person that I wanted to touch on Because this man honestly is a little bit of a legend uh, Scott Dugan He was the art director on the Collateral Beauty Production and he Worked on The Amazing Spider-Man We're not going to touch on Spider-Man a whole lot Because we already (laughs) did that for 45 minutes Of recording time last time, uh, it should be noted how masterful this guy is when it comes to figuring out the theme and the uh, artistic direction of a film and then maintaining it and then matching it perfectly because we have a lot of themes that are explored in Collateral Beauty and they are all expressed in visual format you can get every single theme that the film is trying to tell by just watching. You, you're you not going to have to read into lines. You don't have to. You could play the movie on mute and probably still get the plot. And I love that. Sometimes mm-hmm. I'll actually do that. I'll listen. I'll watch films on mute and see if I can follow along still. Uh, even better if it's a film I've never seen before. <laughs> and uh, Collateral Beauty is one of those films. Because the lines are cool. They're very important. They, they, they're really nice. But the way the visual storytelling works, the way that they tell it is still really, really, really applicable to how the themes work. Like probably one of my favorite, favorite examples, uh, Howard, at the beginning of the film, after he's lost his daughter, he's riding his bike and he's already out of it. Like his mind is already gone and he's riding into oncoming traffic. It's very subtle. It's a very subtle thing because, like, the previous scene had nothing to do with that, and now we're watching Howard ride his bike, and it takes a couple seconds for you to register he's riding on the wrong side of the road, and he, he, he's completely unfazed. He, he's basically waiting for a car to hit him.
1: Yeah, you but, can see cars swerving.
0: Exactly. But then, three quarters into the film, once he started working through his problems and talking to people and getting intervened by these three ex- abstractions, he's riding with the traffic. He's not riding against it anymore. He's riding off to the side on the right, right uh, on the right side of the road. So now we get to see that he's already made a change visually. He didn't say anything. No one's saying that he's any better. We're seeing it happen. And I love that. I really really don't like it when a character in a movie is trying to tell you exactly what's happening.
1: Yeah, where they're like I'm better now.
0: Yeah, it's like, oh look he's already looking better. If someone had said that in the film it probably would have been one of my least favorite films.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it would (laughs) have... completely changed the tone.
0: Exactly. Because we have, like I've said, we have really realistic characters and the art direction plays into that because these characters are experiencing certain events that play into the art style of this movie from the very beginning. There's a lot of physical and visual storytelling happening that the writer, Alan Loeb, wouldn't have been able to do. So this is an excellent example of a team of professionals coming together to make something that's absolutely masterful and then no one appreciating them for it i really hate that stuff (laughs) it's it's so sad you see it all the time with beautiful works of art uh i think probably my not favorite because I really like this project, but it makes me sad. So I can't say it's my favorite example because it's the most sad example. So there's, you've seen Lord of the Rings, obviously. Yeah. I've seen Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings is a really great uh, trilogy of films. Did you know that there was a Lord of the Rings before those movies?
1: <laughs> I think I did.
0: 1978. There oh. was a film released, a animated film. But they used rotoscoping, so basically they. Uh, have, yeah, I, but, I have heard of this. But here's the thing, right? This film, first of all, was supposed to be live action The uh-huh. entire film was filmed in live action but then they just rotoscoped it over to yeah. save on money Yeah This series was made by a guy named Ralph Bakshi and a lot of people said and a lot of people still say Bakshi's Lord of the Rings is better than Peter Jackson's they actually they do say that yeah. and it's it's a fraction of the time because it's only an hour and a half and it only covers about two of the books because they ran, they ran out of money they couldn't finish the the whole series but they wanted to so bad and i wish that they did because it is really really good and what's really crazy lord of the rings from peter jackson ripped scenes right out of box sheet's lord of the rings Oof. The exact same shots, yeah. the exact same angles, same pacing. Yeah.
1: I think I've seen clips mm-hmm. of like comparisons before. That's why I knew about it.
0: Yep, because uh, Strider, for example, whenever he's in the corner, that angling, that shot, his attire ripped right out of Bakshi. So it's, it's so interesting to me because it's like Lord of the Rings, fantastic series. It's a really good fantasy uh, dive into madness a little bit. There was a visionary that came before that wanted to do something incredible, but they didn't get the appreciation that they deserved and their art went out the window. So yes, collateral beauty is one of those examples of yes. Let's put as many amazing creators together behind the scenes and then give them good actors and throw them out into the public and see what happens. Of course, not everything lands. Uh, I think that they wanted, okay. They didn't want Will Smith. That's a funny thing. They didn't yeah, want... Yeah, wasn't
1: it really like Hugh Jackman? Hugh
0: Jackman. He was supposed to be the first one, uh, but he had a scheduling issue. Yeah. And so they landed on Will Smith. Uh, but he does so well. I think he does a better job. But I think because of the tale of After Earth, people may not have been interested in Will Smith anymore.
1: <laughs> well, and weren't you saying that um, Will Smith had like personal stuff going on that really... into how well he acted
0: yeah because what was happening at the time was while Will Smith was doing this movie uh, his father Willard Carroll Smith Jr. was actually dying uh, while Smith was researching for the role so uh, he actually mentioned that by doing this film it was actually therapeutic and helping him deal with that situation because I mean you're dealing with a loss at the same time as performing in a film about loss
1: a lot of the scenes where like they're crying like it, it feels like genuine tears like it's coming from a place of like real genuine emotion they're not like just like dredging it up and trying to get themselves to cry for the camera like
0: and especially from will smith because his eyes throughout the entire film even a little bit at the beginning He he has pain in his eyes. Yeah, and it's it's it doesn't look like acting to me because it's it's very real sort of stuff. So and
1: they like turn that like red color that you get when mm -hmm. like you've been crying like so much that your eyes get dry.
0: Yeah, so he had to have been it had to have been playing through his mind while he was working on the film or something. Mm -hmm. But with all of that out of the way, we are now moving on to once again my favorite part of this whole program discussing the meaning of the movie, and then we're going to determine if there's a comparison or a deeper meaning that we can find that conveys a Christian message, or something that Christians can take away from it. Um, Meaning of the movie, there's quite a few.
1: Yes. It really comes from the scene where they talk about what the title is. (laughs) Collateral Beauty. Beauty. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Which comes from when uh, Howard's wife was sitting in the hospital and their daughter Olivia was just about to be taken off of life support and uh, she's sitting there crying and she's by herself because Howard is out in the parking lot trying to calm down uh, his mother-in-law, I think it is. And so she's by herself crying because her daughter's dying and uh, this lady turns to her and is like, oh, you're losing someone? And she's like, yeah. And... She's like, who? And she's like, my daughter. And the woman says, just make sure to look for the collateral beauty. And uh, when she tells Howard this, he's like, oh, people never know what to say in those moments to mm-hmm. people when they're losing someone. And she, uh, she's just like, no, like that wasn't like, what I needed to hear, essentially. Because she talks about how after their daughter's death, She would be going along and she would just start crying. And those tears wouldn't be, as she says, Olivia tears. They would just be tears because she was like so connected to everything. And like, it really was like collateral beauty. Like, it wasn't something that like made it okay or that would ever bring Olivia back. But it helped her get through it. And Howard's just like, there's no such thing as collateral beauty. And she's like, no, you need to look for it. And that's like about like, I think halfway through the movie, I might be a little bit uh, further in than that. But I think that scene is really like definitive and what this movie is trying to do uh, in that there are certain situations that people all go through that we can all relate to that have to do with love or time or death. And we all struggle. And uh, there's going to be pain because of one of those three things Uh, with all of the, I don't want to call them side characters, but all of the three friends, uh, they all have pain because of death, time or love. And they're going through that, but there's still something beautiful in that pain. There's something that they can find that brings them together and like while going through that pain, they learn something and the situation becomes better. And uh, there was this quote from an interview with uh, Will Smith where um, he's talking about the meaning of collateral beauty and like because it sounds like a little bit of an oxymoron like jumbo shrimp. And <laughs> uh, he's like trying to define it for the interviewer and he says the beauty attached to the pain is the thread you grab onto to find your way back to the light. And so I think really collateral beauty is just trying to explore that and explore like how people deal with their pain and how they find their way back to hope.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't have another meaning. That was exactly what I was what I was thinking. I was actually going to try to expand upon it and talk about the characters, but you nailed it. That's exactly what I was going to say. So, uh, high five?
1: Woo. Uh. <laughs> um,
0: yeah, that's, that's pretty much the... I mean, it, that is kind of funny to me that the title of the movie is the meaning of the movie at the same time. Yeah. Which, I mean, I, I love that, though. it sounds about right for an art film. Yeah. Which is exactly what Collateral Beauty is. It is most certainly an art film. Um, it is a little bit difficult to disconnect the characters sometimes because you're like, oh, Will Smith, ha funny man. And then you've got... The
1: <laughs> and pl- then he's crying. Yeah,
0: and then you got Simon, the funny dude from Ant-Man.
1: Oh, he is! <laughs> Whoa, I didn't realize that until now. Oh my god, You really never noticed that? Well, he looked really familiar, and I'm like, why is his face always so familiar? Yeah,
0: then they got Kira Knightley. Um... She was the one playing love, and yeah. she's been everything. So yeah,
1: she just looks familiar because she is familiar.
0: <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that is most certainly the meaning of the movie with collateral beauty, just simply being that. You know what? Hit me with that quote again. I want to hear that quote again.
1: The beauty attached to the pain is the thread you grab onto to find your way back to the light.
0: And that is an excellent segue. To what I believe we should be taking away as Christians
1: there's that like initial scene in the movie like before his daughter dies mm-hmm. uh, where he's giving that speech in front of the entire company and he asks what is your why and I think that's like another big thing like what's your motivating thing in life especially mm-hmm. like one tragedy hits yeah uh, what's gonna get you through it uh, and ask Christians. <laughs>
0: That just so happens to be God.
1: <laughs> yeah. The determination to trust God and trust him even when things are bad is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, when, especially when we're going through pain. Um, because that's like the thread you grab onto. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. mm-hmm. uh, there's a reason that we go through pain. Uh, God has a plan. Like That's kind of like the main difference with the movie is like they don't have anything they're like really trusting in, like a bigger reason or whatever. They kind of are just like, pain is pain. Oh, so sad. <laughs> Let's cry. Oh, so sad. Um, but we as Christians, we can have that hope of like, okay, there is a reason for this pain that mm-hmm. I'm going through and God's got it. And so like it's gonna be okay even if it is oh so sad right now and you know going through pain is necessary sometimes because if you go through pain that makes it where later on you can help someone who's going through a similar pain
0: Mm -hmm. and I think the best example that we could pull from the scripture directly about this idea of even through your suffering you have an out Mm -hmm. and you have something there to comfort you Job Job yeah, like an extremely clear example. Yeah, he straight up lost everything, and even so, he would he would return to God. He would remain, and and that's something that's like a lot of Christians these days are going through a lot of tr- trouble, a lot of struggle, and I don't think that's anything new or unexpected. The world is getting smaller. The world is getting more resistant because it's getting smaller. Smaller voices are getting louder and our voices are getting quieter because we're not as appealing. And so Christians are going through things and they feel like they're alone because they can't really talk about things. They can't talk about spiritual struggles. And a lot of them, unfortunately, don't have a community like we do here in Moody where we can just go and talk to somebody. They don't have that. And I think that in the same way that the three abstractions would intervene and arrive out of nowhere to get through to Will Smith's character, I think in that same way God will end up usually, he will intervene and like every single time that I have faced things, because I can tell you I've seen a lot of pain in my life I've had to experience a lot of crap but every single time, every single time, it was always some form of reminder of God's Sovereignty or God's provision that helped me get through that because I've had to deal with uh, death of a friend and in that if I were to point it out if I were to say it using our little key words here the collateral beauty in that loss was that I had a ton of memories That I got to keep because this woman that had passed away, she had gone on tons of adventures and she gave almost all of the things that she had collected to me. And the things that she had taught my mother, my mother held on to as well. So my mother got to learn even after she was gone. When my parents got divorced, I lost my parents, at least being together. I still have my mother, but after my father was gone, She immediately grew in faith. Like, her faith to Christ is ridiculous now because there's nothing holding her back. That's what he was doing. And I got to see all that. I got to experience it. And it sucks. Like, pain is not fun. Going through loss and going through tragedy is never going to be entertaining or exciting at all. But these days, I can't ever expect that I'm going to go through something and not see God in it somehow.
1: Yeah. In my Hebrews class, we're talking about the book of Hebrews, uh, surprisingly. Of course. (laughs) So unexpected plot twist. (laughs) And, uh, you know, in the book of Hebrews, it talks about how, like, we have a sympathetic high priest and God shows up, like, he helps you when you call out to him and stuff. And so Mm -hmm. uh, Dr. Sauer talks about that a lot, about how, like, you know, we just have to cry out and God will be there for us in our pain and like in our suffering mm-hmm. and I think the book of Hebrews is another really good example of that uh, there's so many examples of that throughout the Bible like not just Job although Job is I think probably one of the easiest examples
0: easiest definitely
1: <laughs> um, just where like with Joseph too or um, trying to think of more but
0: there's, there's most s- of the prophets yeah most of the prophets most of the judges <laughs> most of
1: the judges like most, Jesus yeah most of the like big stories in the Bible have like some of that where like God shows up because God always shows up and that's like something that I think it's really easy to forget um at the church that I went to this summer uh they talked about how uh sometimes there's like this big boulder uh, that's like our pro- like problems and stuff or just like problems in general and uh, then we'll have like one little rock that we hold up and it's like the problem we're currently dealing with mm-hmm. and so we hold it up to our eye and it looks and it's like blocking our vision so much that like we can't see the big boulder that like God is like moving for us because yeah. we're focused on like the one little s- pebble that we're like staring at. We're like, oh God, you're not doing anything with this like little tiny pebble in front of my eyes. When are you going to show up and do something when like he's actually moving like this giant boulder mm-hmm. out of your way Yeah. Um, that you just, you're not even paying attention to because your vision's blocked by this pebble.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I, I really love that illustration because it's just like a uh, human's. Why are we like this?
0: And on that human note, there was one other thing that I felt that we should be discussing. Uh, It's not about the collateral beauty, but it is about another message that you hear in the dialogue of the film. Uh, At one point, death intervenes again to uh, Howard on the subway train. And... She barely gets to say anything before Howard cuts her off and just starts rambling and ranting and shouting at her. And in that rambling and ranting, I have the quote. He shouts at her and goes, Oh, let me guess. It's all part of a master plan. People use pain as that excuse. Science and their biocentrism, all dying in infinite universes, the Christians and their salvation, the Buddhists and their samsara, the Hindus and their 41st sacrament. And I think in that there's actually something that we should be calling out and you likely know what it is um we've had discussions about this before so christians have a tendency when others are going through pain because they are feeling all right and they are okay and they can feel quote unquote god's presence everything's fine just remember it's all part of his master plan
1: yeah and I think that goes back to, like, that scene where how like, some people just don't know what to say. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that still applies to Christians, where, like, we kind of, like, divert that to, like, oh, God has a plan. It'll all be okay. Yeah. And so then when people are going through suffering, we're like, we try to remind them of that too quickly mm-hmm. without acknowledging the pain, because it is important to acknowledge pain. Yeah. It's just one of those things where like you can really hurt someone mm-hmm. um without even really meaning to because you're trying to comfort them yeah uh like for example my house burned down when i was 12 and we had so many people who would come up and be like oh i'm so sorry for your loss like you know how are you guys doing like da da da." but like a lot of the time like since i went to a christian school and like we were in the like christian community people would be like you know, God's going to do something like really cool through this. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, my house just burned down yesterday. Yeah. (laughs) Like maybe not the time.
0: (laughs) I think that the worst time to bring up God's grace is the immediate moment during or after a tragedy because then, because here's the thing, if it's a non-Christian, they're not going to care. They're going to think that you're just spouting nonsense so that you can feel good about yourself in this. And that's
1: also like a really like, intense way we can hurt people
0: mm-hmm.
1: is saying like oh God has a reason for that when they don't they don't even care about God
0: and and if they hear that they're gonna be like well what does that mean what do you mean what reason would you have to take yeah. my son
1: that's not gonna like provoke curiosity in the gospel that's gonna make them want to push God away mm-hmm. a lot of the time and like yes like God provides so much comfort in difficult situations. But first, it's important to like actually listen to people and listen to their suffering mm-hmm. and help them process it. And then after they've processed a little, then be like, you know, like, God's there for you.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and I think that's, like, it's going to be different for each situation, but I think that's kind of like maybe more of the proper... <laughs> order like yes pray for people Mm -hmm. yes like show up and be there for them because as Christians like we are reflecting God and so if we're not there for people then there's an issue as well like oh I thought Christians were like supposed to like you know serve others where are they when I'm going through this crisis Mm -hmm. like you're representing God and so that's how you show like God cares about them when they're going through something hard, mm-hmm. and they'll get the message. So,
0: yeah, and and to the other side of that, Christians, when you're saying that stuff to other Christians, usually we know, like, we if you have a faithful Christian, they already know. Yes, God is sovereign. Yes, God has a plan. Yes, God did this for a reason. I'm still going through a lot right now. Yeah, <laughs> and I I think that in in the aspect of community, it makes the person going through those hard times feel as if they're being ignored.
1: Yeah, because it's, it's like Christianese mm-hmm. is what people usually call it. Where like when someone shares something they're struggling with, you're just like, okay, I'll pray for you.
0: I, I, that's, hate, I hate that one. I it, it's, uh,
1: That's almost kind of like being dismissive. Mm-hmm. Um, because they, they don't know if you're actually going to pray for them. Um, like, actually pray with them, like, right that second yeah, if you're going to pray
0: for them. Because what's what's preventing you?
1: Yeah. But also, like, Christianese-type statements can also be really impersonal. Mm-hmm. Um, they pull you back from, like, actually engaging with someone. They pull you back from, like, being there and being incarnational and loving someone. Mm-hmm. And investing in them. And that just isn't okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I, we need to we need to focus more of our time as Christians, not only praying for ourselves and praying for everyone around us and meditating and letting God in, invade in our lives at any possible moment. But we also need to make sure that we're taking a second to actually like consider somebody else's position before we think more
1: than a second <laughs> I'm just saying like
0: taking a little bit just to like, think like if
1: you only have a second use that second but if you only have a
0: second pray for that person yeah in that moment
1: but I think really just being genuine mm-hmm. as humans is a really important thing like in general but especially as Christians like we need to be genuine like we need to genuinely love others we need to genuinely care yeah Especially if someone is suffering.
0: Yeah, because that is honestly my favorite form of evangelism. Practicing what you preach, showing that you live differently. And then when someone goes, why are you so different? You go, that's so funny that you ask. Yeah. Well,
1: if you think about it, like if Jesus hadn't been genuine, how Mm -hmm. do you think that would have gone in the gospel? Not
0: very well. (laughs) Like,
1: oh, let me ungenuinely die on the cross for everyone's sins. (laughs) Pranked yeah that it would have been such a different story
0: it would have been a really different we would have all been He condemned. was
1: so real
0: mm-hmm.
1: and we're supposed to reflect that in our interactions with others and it's really hard to be transparent like that mm-hmm. um because it makes you really vulnerable uh but you gotta like You're absolutely right. gotta practice it
0: mm-hmm Do you have any final comments before we wrap up today's episode?
1: Watch Collateral Beauty. (laughs) (laughs) Even if you've already seen it, watch it again.
0: such a good movie. It is amazing. As my final comments, uh, make sure to take time to understand yourself. Understand your place in Christ, as we discussed last week. And then whenever someone is going through a tragedy, if that's you, if that's someone that you know, if it's a stranger, take a moment to be human with them first one of the best parts of being human is that we can be human with others
1: yeah and that's how we show them god mm-hmm.
0: so treat them with respect treat them as people help them with their problems or to sit there with them and be silent if that's all that they need pray for them if they wish keep them in your hearts but don't under any circumstances ever undersell the pain that someone else is going through and then when they're okay when they're at least willing to listen help them see that collateral beauty Because that's that's going to be one of the things that's more than likely going to help them find their way to Christ. So we thank you for listening to yet another installment of Collateral Creatives. Yes, our name is completely a reference from Collateral (laughs) Beauty that we had thought up weeks before we came up with this show. Uh, So thank you for listening. We hope to see you next week, where we're going to be talking about Scooby Doo. Where, where are, are you? you? We got some. That's not the best one though. The best, you know, what's this Scooby Doo? This we're is coming true. after you. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have those conversations next week, whenever we get down to it. There's a lot of things that are to be explored in that uh, that whole franchise. I feel so. Uh, we're going to take a look at that. We're going to have a whole lot of fun looking into how they came up with the show, uh, where they took it. So we hope to see you then. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. We hope you go and watch friggin' Collateral Beauty. Yes. Please go watch and watch it. it. <laughs> <laughs> and we shall see you in next week's episode.
1: Bye.